Well, let's start with prayer. Lord, uh, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for the new hearts that you give us and uh, the new birth um, that we can go from death to life, Lord. We pray that uh, anybody here that hasn't experienced that new life would experience that new life, Lord. And that all that have experienced that new life would uh, recall that significance and be motivated uh, and filled with zeal to spread that word to others. Just as Philip did. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if everyone wants to open up to Romans 7, uh, I'm going to be jumping through a lot of different points in Romans 7, so it's best that we, I don't know, get a cursory read through it so that we uh, familiarize ourselves with it a little bit. Romans 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies... She is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law We're at work in our members to bear fruit of death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But in sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised me life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me, through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, 
I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I am the desire, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Okay, so that was plenty of reading. That's all the reading I'm going to do this week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Hopefully I'll do more reading. So let's get to the outline here. Uh, Romans 7, obviously it's pretty closely tied to Romans 6, a lot of what I've talked about already, and a lot of what John Gray's already said in all of Romans. Um, It's like it was written by the same author or something. First, I, I want to get through some definitions here. I think the analogy is, is one that we can trip over. Um, in fact, I think a lot of us read that analogy or the, it's a, practically a parable, and, and we look at it as just some moral teaching about what we should do about marriage and divorce and remarriage. But it's more than that. It, every picture in Scripture points to a bigger picture of Christ, Right? And so does this one. So that's what we're going to be looking at. We're not just going to be looking at a, uh, a moral teaching about whether you are allowed to get remarried or not, okay? So we're going to go through some definitions and kind of navigate our way through this, this passage. And then we're going to talk about the law and death, its connection to death, and we're going to talk about Christ and his connection to life, Okay? So let's get into the definitions. So there's a difference. There's two types of laws talked about here. Okay, this is very important. Um, there's in the first section. You can really read this in three sections, right? And uh, uh, we're blessed that someone in the past already divided into three sections, so it's easy for us to see. But the first section is about that parable I told you about, and it talks about two laws really, and the first is this the law of marriage or the law that binds you to someone, the covenant that you make with them. And that's a specific lowercase l law, okay? And if you read this in the NASB, it changes. There's one lowercase law and there's one uppercase law, okay? There's the law, which is God's law, his commandments. It's the law uh, that convicts us that causes us to be guilty. Okay, so get that uh, comparison in your head. So then, talking about the law, the big uppercase law, right, the overarching God's commandment, um, in this analogy, that law is the first husband, 
okay? There's two husbands here, supposedly. The one that um, was alive and dies, and then the one who uh, we remarry to, okay? So the law, uppercase, is the first husband, and you can read that in Romans 7, 6. It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We are released from the law. Okay? If, if you're married, you're captive to each other. You're one. Okay? If you want to go uh, be with someone else, you have to be released from them, and that only happens by death here. <laughs> and so we were released from the uppercase law. And then Christ being the second husband, the husband that uh, we would remarry after this death. Romans 7, 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to, again, the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. Right? Again, you're not only captive to each other, uh, you belong to one another when you get married. Christiana is mine, and I am Christiana's. Okay, she is no one else's. I'm no one else's, except Christ's, right? So we belong to Christ. That's, that's the second marriage that, that we hope to get to, right? So let's go on to the, the next definitions. There's also two types of death talked about here, okay? Um, the... First, I'm going to dis describe isn't necessarily obvious in the text, but I'm going to talk about it a lot, so I thought I'd define it. Um, and this is the baptism of death. And that goes hand in hand with our resurrection through Christ. Okay? So what I'm talking about here is not, not a bad kind of death. It's the good kind of death in Scripture that's we're dying to death. We're dying to our old selves. If we turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says here, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, again, there's, here's this picture of being in Christ, uh, belonging to Christ, um, being captive by Christ, says, He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Okay? Passed away, we use that all the time, right? That's a term of death. The old has died. What is the old? Let's read Romans 6, 4. And if you're wondering what uh, the picture of, we call this the baptism of death, but it's also like uh, a symbol that is in our actual water baptism. I don't know if anyone's done any studying on water baptism. Uh, that was like, the first thing I taught on when I was like 12 years old in uh, youth group. So I could tell you a lot. Um, this verse pretty much sums up this symbol. When you're being water baptized, you're laid down into the water, into a metaphorical grave. And you're lifted up, resurrected, a new person. So when you go to get water baptized, you're saying to the world, the old has passed away and the new has come. Or in Romans 6, 4, it says, we were buried 
therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's awesome. I want some newness of life. So this is the first type of death. This is that one dividing moment uh, that separates the first husband from the second husband. Okay? This is that split, that, that dividing moment, uh, and it happens once for us. Okay? Once you're a Christian, you're a Christian. That's the deal. Okay? Um, then there's the death of sin, and this is a wicked, awful, horrible death. And there's life of righteousness, or righteousness producing life in us, and sin producing death in us. Or righteousness that bears fruit of life, and sin that produces fruit of death in us. And if you go to Romans 7, 5, it says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Romans 5, 17 uh, summing, summing this up. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, this is saying that because of the sin Adam committed, we're all born into this death. That's the default. We default to sin. We default to death. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. That's a blessing. That's life. So, there's the baptism of death and resurrection, you know, be, not being a Christian to being a Christian, right? Um, that kind of separates our two sides of this parable. And there's the death of sin, which happens a lot. And there's life of righteousness, which hopefully happens more and more after this dividing line, okay? Um, obviously, sin is still in us, but it doesn't reign in our lives anymore. That's a huge thing. And we'll get more into that reigning versus uh, just being present. Then adultery. Um, I think it's important here to comment what adultery is and how the scripture looks at it. Um, in this context, adultery this, it, is anti it's a breaking of this idea of belonging to someone. It's saying, I belong to this person, but I'm going to uh, break that and go belong with someone else. This gets to the idea of covenants and vows, okay? So it's important to know here, marriage is a covenant just like when you uh, give your life to the Lord, you're making a covenant with God. And God has made a covenant with his people, with Christ. Um, a covenant being an agreement, okay? And with that agreement, there's vows or promises, okay? Now, uh, we're familiar with that through the analogy of marriage, so this is a great analogy. Um, we still do vows uh, in most marriages, uh, but you can see as our culture is degrading, so are the vows, and they can be pretty uh, lackluster. But when I got married, I made vows. 
I made promises. And the consequence of breaking those promises is death. You know, when we say, till death do us part, we're saying two things. This covenant is over when I'm dead, or I'm dead when I break this covenant. When you break the covenant of marriage, a marriage dies. There's a death. And if you see uh, people who break a covenant of marriage with children, a whole family dies. It's a terrible, awful thing, and it's a product of our sin. But this is the consequence of breaking our vows. So when you make a vow with someone, you owe them something. You've made promises to them. You belong to them. You're captive to them. Two become one in a covenant. And the only way out is death. So look on the bright side. All right. The law and death. Okay? So one point Paul makes here, and and we're into the second section of this chapter now. One thing Paul makes evidently clear, he says, is the law sin? By no means. That's pretty, it's got like an exclamation point and everything. <laughs> By no means. The law's not sin, right? Because what, what we're reading here is like, this first husband, there's all this death involved. I'm living in death um, because of sin. Sin's reigning in my body, and it's all happening under the watchful eye of my husband, the law. Why do I want to be married to the law? Is it the law's fault that uh, you know, sin is reigning in my body? That's like saying, uh, I'm married to this person and I keep committing adultery on them, uh, but it's their fault. Because they didn't give me enough attention, or they didn't do this, or they didn't do that. It's my fault I keep breaking my covenant vows with them. No, it's not the law's sin, or the law's fault that we are sinning. Okay, that's very clear. Um, But what is true is the law is powerless to stop this sinning and this death. The law can only shine a light on our sin and our death. It doesn't have the power to save. Romans 8 2 through 3 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Saying God had to come to do what the law could not do. Romans 7.10 says, The victory very commandment that promised life. Okay, If you go and read the Ten Commandments, um, eventually you get to promises in those commandments so that if you don't break these commandments, here's some promises of like life-giving things. Like uh, your house won't you know, depart, you know, like life-giving promises. And, and that's another aspect of these vows. When you make vows, you're making promises that are good things. 
if every marriage upheld their vows, like, that's the ideal thing. That's where we want to be, right? There's a reason people don't stay single. There's a reason people get married, because there's benefits to marriage. They're good things, as long as you're living within these bounds of these vows that you've made. But when they're broken, uh, you lose those, those promises. And what he's saying here is the commandments, these commandments, that the law that God's given... Um, we see this law and we see the life that it affords us and, and we're like, oh yes, life. But it's the same thing that condemns us. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And that's where we're stuck without Christ. That's where we're stuck with just the law. And let me tell you, everyone gets the law. Everyone knows the law. Right? To some degree, everyone knows and can agree, uh, most everyone can agree to different parts of the law, but there's certain moral truths that people accept. Right? Murdering's bad. Most people will say that. And if they don't say that, they have their own moral law in their head. And they think laws and rules are good, they just disagree about what laws are good. Okay? Everyone thinks the law is good, uh, but they don't think they have to follow it. And so we're all having the law shining on us and showing us our sin and causing us to die. We're all living in death. Again, this is back to my last sermon. Like, who are you a prisoner to? Who are you a slave to? You know, slavery is so closely related to death. It's, a little, it's lots of little deaths every day. So let's talk about the consequences of our vows, this, this death. Like, what I, I'm pointing, I want to point here is, I put up here death loop. <laughs> um, because that's what's going on, is every time we see the law, we read the law, we see our sin, and we're grieved to it, and we die, and then we go back. And it's just an endless cycle of seeing the law and seeing our sin and dying and seeing the law and seeing our sin and dying, and it doesn't end. And uh, I think, hopefully, a lot of us uh, are driven to that point where we recognize the endless, uh, unfortunate circumstance of being in this death loop. But there's a benefit there's a there's an upside there's a side to this that we don't have to be stuck in this death loop so if we go to Christ in life going from death to life we're going to see the difference between Christ's response to our sin and suffering and death and and what the law can do about our sin and death right You know, Paul does say that the law is good, right? And I think we should all agree it's good, but it doesn't have the power to save. So we need a savior. We need out of this death loop. We need free from death reigning in our life, and we need someone new to reign in our life. We need to be slave to someone new. 
So 2 Corinthians 3.6. If we, yeah, so speaks a little bit earlier and says, who has made us sufficient, this speaking of Christ, to be ministers of a new covenant, there's that covenant word again, with new vows, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If you weren't convinced before of this difference here, again, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You are always going to fall short of God's commandments. Uh, One of the greatest tragedies uh, arising in our very critical culture, you know, this, this idea of higher criticism and trying to explain away the scripture uh, to fit our narrative is, is a common thought in a lot of churches today is they explain away uh, Christ's Sermon on the Mount where he explains how, how much deeper the Ten Commandments go. He's saying, not just don't commit adultery, Like if you lust after a person in your heart, you've committed adultery. Like if you've just thought about it, you've done it. Not just don't murder. I think most of us here have pretty much nailed that one. I hope we haven't murdered anyone. But how many of us have murdered someone in our heart today? And there's like, Christ comes along and he says, not only are these commandments in the Old Testament that look really difficult to keep, and they are, and not everyone can keep them, he's saying they go so deep that it's in in the way you think, it's in the way you feel, it's in your emotions, it's, it's reigning over you, and there's such high standards that people in the church today have tried to explain them away and say that was just like, hyperbole. He doesn't really expect us to keep those commandments. Yes, God expects us to keep his commandments. And failure to do so is death. Okay? So what then? Please raise your hand if you've uh, never committed a sin or failed to (laughs) fulfill the law. None of us have. And so it does condemn us to death. It does. No one's going to do good enough. Paul lists this uh, for us in his other writings of like all the things that he's done well. And even he, uh, you know, he's the one writing this. He's the one that's racked in himself with the sin that he's going through. And he's so compelled uh, to free others from being subject to sin and death, to being condemned by the law, that he risks his life over and over again, receiving prison and lashings and, you know, stonings. This guy almost died like a million times. So that you wouldn't, he almost died a million times like a physical death so that people wouldn't die this spiritual death. So that he could grab them from the pit of death. 
and pull them through Christ into newness of life. So there's the difference between why would we, you know, if the law is good and righteous, why do we want to die? Why do we want that death to happen, that covenant to be broken? Why do we want a new covenant? Why do we want to die to death so that, or die to the law so that we can live through Christ? It's because even though the law is righteous and good, it does not have the power to save us. The big point I want to get across here before I get too far is, is I think a lot of us have gone through this conversion experience, this regeneration, this we've been taken out of, you know, the old has passed away and we've been brought into newness of life and we come in into church on Sunday and we stand and worship and uh, we tell God, no, I don't belong here. I'm condemned by the law. I owe it to the law to die this morning. I think a lot of us in the newness of life that we're operating in still feel like we owe it to the law to walk around like dead people. Like we don't deserve the life that comes in worship. I've been there. I've been there on a Sunday morning, um, you know, listening to the worship songs and saying, I can't say these lyrics. They're untrue. God's name has frequently departed from my lips. I don't feel like I have a new heart. I don't feel as sweet as honey. I'm bitter. I've sat there and thought those thoughts and said, um, the law condemns me. I'm guilty. I don't deserve for those lyrics to be true. I don't deserve to be happy this morning or to be full of joy because I sinned. How many of us sit there and can't enter into worship, enter into God's arms because we feel like we don't deserve to be there, like we don't belong, because we still owe it to the law? That's like, again, going with this analogy, if you were married to someone and they passed away and you remarried someone, right, and you wouldn't kiss the person you remarried to because you say, that would be cheating on my husband who passed away. I can't hug you. I'm someone else's. The old has passed away. You're in newness of life. You belong in the Lord's arms. You belong... Uh, you have new promises that have better life that mean that sin no longer reigns in your body and you don't owe it to the law to be bummed out during worship. You don't owe the law anything. You owe Christ everything. So particularly if we try and go through the law, Romans 7-8 says, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment 
produced in me all kinds of covetousness. But apart from the law, sin lies dead. Sin operates through the law, condemning us frequently. But if we come to, you know, if we come into the presence of God through Christ, who died for us, he paid the price of our breaking the covenant. He paid the price of us breaking the law. Romans 7, 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you can belong to him and be raised up and may bear fruit for God. Josiah talked today about basically bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, doing things for God and advancing his kingdom. You can't do those things through the law. Sure, I can, I can say um, the law requires... Uh, a tenth of my income, right? Or a tenth of all I own. And I can do it out of that. But the scripture says, like, if you don't have joy in your heart when you're doing it, God doesn't care about it. You can lay all the sacrifices before God you want according to the law and what the law requires. But God says, in bulls and lambs, I do not... Let's get it out. Hebrews 10.4. I don't want to misquote it. If I can find it. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Like this is, the law told us to do these things. Why are we no longer offering sacrifices to God? I would argue that all of us still try to offer these sacrifices to God. We come to church on Sunday again. Or I'm getting back to this worship idea. Like We come into worship and say, uh, here's my sacrifices, God. I hope this will suffice. I took no pleasure in today. Is that a good enough sacrifice for you? I didn't smile during worship. Is that enough of a sacrifice for you to atone for my sins? God's not looking for us to atone for our sins. He did that through Christ. We don't owe it to the law to die every day. We die every day to death. We don't die the first death that I was talking about, that awful death that comes from sin. We die to death. We die to our old selves. We die to sin reigning in our bodies. And that death leads to life. The death over here is a loop, an endless loop of death. When we die to death, when we die to uh, our old self and the old covenant, that one leads to life and resurrection. 
I want to go back real quick to 2 Corinthians 7.10. This one I use a lot with people uh, when I'm talking to them. Uh, we're working through some grief. When we're overcome by our sin. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I don't know if I've gotten the point across yet. So then we get to this last section. What if I still sin? Right? What is, you know, Paul talks about the relationship between uh, the law and sin and death. And then I'm saying here that we've got newness of life and we're no longer slaves to sin and we're no longer uh, married to the law breaking the covenant constantly and stuck in a death loop, but we have life and new life and abundant life. And, uh, but what if I still sin? Well, Romans seven sixteen through 17, this last section is not Paul saying the whole time that I deserve death because I keep sinning. He's like, I want to not sin, but I keep sinning, so I deserve death, right? It's that same idea of coming to worship and saying, like, I owe it to the law to be bummed out today or to be depressed or to be, to sulk around. Um, we don't do, we don't owe that to him. Just because we've sinned, it doesn't mean we deserve death. We don't have to walk around like we're dead. So Romans seven sixteen through 17 says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. What? That one, I'm going to be honest, I spent like 20 minutes reading it and trying to understand it, and I finally broke down and said, someone's probably already figured this out, and so I went and read a commentary. (laughs) And guess what? They had figured it out. (laughs) And they pretty much all agreed. (laughs) What's happening here is like, remember when I said all of us agree that the law is good? We agree the law is good because we agree that people shouldn't break the law, right? So what he's saying here is the fact that I don't want to break the law is proof that I think the law is good, okay? He didn't, he's not saying here, uh, in fact, he's saying exactly the opposite. He's not saying I didn't break the law because I didn't want to, and therefore it's good. He's saying, you could take out the, I do what I do not want, and just put in, I don't want to break the law. Okay? Read it that way. He's saying, I don't want to break the law, and that means I agree that the law is good. Okay? And this leads him to his following argument. He says, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is the difference between the person who looks at the law, uh, we'll do it this way for your sake, who looks at the law or sin through the law without Christ, they look at it and it actually is them who are breaking the law. It's them. It's in every fiber of their being. Sin is reigning in their life and they want to break the law. They see the law and they say, sure, maybe it's good, I don't know, I'm going to break it. 
And it, it's them. It's their identity. Their identity is lawbreaker. Who do we call someone who steals? A thief. Who do we call someone who kills people? A murderer. We have identifying names for people who break the law. And that was our identity. But now if we break the law, sin is no longer uh, reigning over us. So if we do break the law, it's not us, it's the sin that dwells within us. Our spirit is made alive and our spirit is our identity now. Not our flesh. Not our sin nature. Your sin does not define you. Your identity in Christ defines you now. Okay? You have a new covenant. Um, uh, one tradition I love in our culture is when you marry someone, uh, the wife and the children take the husband's last name, right? You get a new identity. When Christiana and I got married, uh, it was super annoying, but she had to go and get like everything changed. She had to get a new license, new registration, knew this. We, a few months after we got married, we went to try and sell our car to someone, and they're like, so this car was in her, her name, but it was in her last name. So you need proof that her, of her change of name. You need proof that her identity is different now. So we had to go back home, get her marriage certificate, and come back. It was annoying. But the point here is, like, you get a new identity when you remarry. And our identity is in Christ now. It's no longer in sin. Uh, one of the commentators used this analogy that um, if a person is in a city, he may be in the city, but it doesn't mean that he's ruling the city. Sin may be in you, but just because sin's in you doesn't mean he reigns in your life anymore. He doesn't have authority over you. Sin doesn't have authority to define who you are. We have a new covenant. So what if we still sin? Paul says that's a good thing that there's this conflict. It's proof that Christ has removed sin from reigning in my life. And it no longer has free reign. We debated a long time uh, at our discipleship group the other night about Revelation 20, and if you want to talk about it, you can talk about, about it with me, but it's talking about an era of the church where Satan is chained and no longer has free range to deceive the nations totally. And we're like, what does that mean? Obviously, there's still evil nations, right? Obviously, abortion is still a big deal in our, our nation, right? There's still evil. It seems like Satan's deceiving our whole nation, but he's not, because there's people who are standing here in this nation who are fighting against abortion. Just because abortion is here does not mean abortion reigns in our country or in our nation. And so the Lord has a new covenant with us, and sin no longer reigns in our bodies. So real quick, just to, to get this picture down... Um, Remember that death loop I was talking about? That's on your left. You know, the law shines light on our sin, and because of our sin, we're filled with grief, and that's a grief that leads to death. And that never ends. But on the other side of our regeneration, of our new birth, 
when the law shines light on, on sin now, sin has to go through Christ. And yes, we should still be grieved over our sin, but this is a new type of grief that leads to repentance instead. There, in, when I was doing soccer growing up, I was taught one like, really important lesson, and that was to have a short-term memory about my mess-ups. What that means is, when I would do something wrong in the game, uh, there were two type of players. There would be the player who would uh, mess up, and then they would hang their head down, and that was pretty much it for them. The rest of the game was gone. They weren't going to do good. They weren't going to recover. That was it. They're like, I'm just so bad. And they go kick rocks. Right? Like, that's, that's where we're stuck before the new birth, before life. But then there's the other type of players who, who has like this instinct. And, and when they make a mistake, they're like, I'm not going to remain here. I'm going to repent, if you will. I'm going to get better. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. And, and the Lord, through Christ, our sin produces a grief that produces repentance. And that leads to life and salvation. That's a forward-moving thing. So, uh, in, for our communion meditation, if we want to turn to Romans 6, 4. I hope you can put that up. We're going to go back to this image of baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from death by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we come up to this communion table, communion is a covenant reenactment. So when you go and get water baptized, that is a covenant symbol. It is a sign that you made a covenant with the Lord. And I told you that was a one-time thing. But, when you come to the communion table, you're reenacting that covenant. You're reminding yourself of the covenant you made with the Lord. You're reminding yourself that you were brought out of death into life. Um, so I know a lot of people who come to the communion table really uh, introspective, head down, thinking about how awful their sins are. Um, and I would hope today that we come to the table overjoyed uh, that the Lord has freed us from that death and filled us with life. So please come and join us.